are we now in a buyer's market? Are online businesses actually cheaper to buy? Hi, I'm Jared Krause, and I'm the host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast, and today I'm speaking with Greg Elfring, who is the Director of Marketing at Empire Flippers. In this podcast episode, Greg and I talk about what most beginners do wrong when actually buying their first online business and how you can become an attractive buyer and buy businesses for less than your competitors wanting to buy those businesses. We also talk about what happened with the FBA aggregators and how and why they lost so much money, but also were able to increase the multiples and the prices of most online assets. We also talk about the different types of online businesses Empire Flippers sell. And then we move into talking about how sellers of their people want to sell their online business, how they're not actually getting the prices they used to be able to get to and why we've been moving into a buyer's market, something that Greg and I predicted back at the end of 2022. We'll just talk about the multiples of businesses for the rest of the market, what that actually looks like. And we then dive into some AI chats, talking about AI and affiliate marketing. Is affiliate marketing doomed? Are we all doomed because of AI? I'm not trying to fear sell you into anything. I'm a big advocate of AI and so is Greg. And we talk about why you should use AI, but also how AI could look for our industry in two to five years and what we should actually be looking for uh, and how we want how we should shape our online businesses using AI. We also talk about how buying and selling online businesses could actually evolve in the future for the online M&A space. So there's so much value in this podcast episode. I'm sure you're going to love it. We also talk about, because we talk about buying online businesses here, I want to make sure that you don't just rush into buying a business. Make sure you go away and get my Judon's framework. It's what I use all of my clients use to go away and buy businesses from Empire Flippers and other marketplaces and brokers as well. Uh, and it's helped people save millions of dollars and make millions of dollars just through using this framework. So get that at buyingonlinebusiness.com forward slash free resources. Now let's dive in and have a chat with Greg. Greg, welcome back. Thank you, my friend. It's always good to come back here. I'm, uh, I'm a big fan as always. Uh, glad to be back. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I checked the last time we chatted live or recorded something on the Bob channel uh, was episode 19. And we are up to about episode 220. I think this is 220 something. So we've done over 200 episodes now. And... uh, (laughs) Our first, the first episode we did was like basically us in our infancy, and it was before the uh, beard. Yeah, it was like yeah, pre beard. Yeah, you've had twenty episodes to grow this awesome beard. Um, the the podcast was called the most valuable business to buy according to fifty mil of data. So it would have been four ish, three and a half ish years ago, and that's, oh, that's I think that's when you guys at Empire Flippers started actually gathering or at least publishing the data um, of sold sold businesses and we, we broke that down which was great and that's why um, it was so long ago I could have sworn I, I been do I did this with you not even just a few months ago but yeah time and, uh, flies I guess <laughs> time absolutely flies so uh, this is just gonna be just a chat uh, we're, and I just just want to record it because I know there's going to be a lot of value that's going to come out of it for everyone. So first thing I wanted to chat to you about is obviously online businesses and beginners and wondering where do, where do most where do you see most beginners go wrong when they think, all right, I'm going to buy a business and they come to Empire Flippers and they've just they've just maybe they've just found some of my stuff and they're like, oh, Jared said buying a business is good. And they, <laughs> we send them over to you guys and you're like, ah, well, yeah. Stop sending this. Stop sending stuff. these. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stop sending us beginners. <laughs> you, 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 usually your crowd is pretty good. Uh, so new buyers, uh, if they've been doing a research like on YouTube and stuff like that, it's very common for a new buyer to fall into this trap like, I call it the zero money down trap where they see a guru that's like, Hey, look, you can buy this business for no money down, all this stuff. Like 
Well, it's true you can do something like that. It's extremely unlikely you're able to do that at all with our businesses because they're very asset light being you know, by the nature of being an online business. But you can do zero money down stuff. I'm not saying like that doesn't exist. It doesn't. It just doesn't exist in the way a buyer thinks. It exists by over leveraging yourself. So basically taking out a massive loan to to make this work. So like the realities of a deal like that is nowhere near as sexy as a new buyer initially thinks. Also, it's extremely hard to do this. So don't recommend trying. Uh, the other thing that uh, new buyers make the mistakes on uh, they and this isn't so much like a like a glaring error as more as just like they just don't know what they don't know. And that is mm. asking the right questions and knowing what questions to ask. So like if you don't know anything about uh, backlinks, for example, like you don't know enough about SEO to even know backlinks are important. You're not even going to ask about the backlink profile. You don't know what you're looking at. Like, yeah, it's all gobbledygook to me, right? <laughs> like, but that's an extremely important part of the SEO. Like, you need to yeah. know about this, about the distribution of those anchor tags, all that good stuff, right? So a big problem new buyers run into, like probably the biggest problem, no matter where they're coming from, is just not knowing the right question to ask. So that, yeah. that's where people like you and us come in handy because we can help guide people, right? Yeah, spot on. We we have specific questions for each particular business model. And in our group, uh, in our members area, people ask, you know, what sort of other questions should I be asking? We just had a, a an episode go live with somebody who's just bought a business, like a case study, um, talking about some of the questions they asked the seller. And one of the people in our group was like, hey, can you send over your questions? And they did. They shared, they shared the questions they asked the sellers on seller calls and throughout you know just doing due diligence but i also came in with the caveat of like hey look that's those questions may be really good questions but each question should be specific to each business because a you don't want to waste the seller's time asking irrelevant questions b you don't want to be wasting your time and c you don't want to look like an unattractive website buyer by not knowing what to do and what information <laughs> to look for <laughs> yeah 100 percent uh so the way I usually describe it is having your due diligence uh, checklist system. So like, mm. and I, I view it in multiple stages. So the first stage is the quickest stage where you're just trying to disqualify a business as quickly as possible. Like your five minute check could be like, must be an affiliate site, must be, uh, you know, four years old, must be making this amount of profit, this amount of traffic across this many pages. You know, like maybe you have like five, five to 10 things that are like, really quick to check off your list without even talking to the seller like just looking at the PL and the traffic statement like the like the information we provide on our marketplace right is enough mm -hmm. for yeah. your five minute check and then you go deeper and the second phase could still be very uh you know systemized like the all the same questions for every business but this time it takes you maybe 30 minutes to go through it all 30 minutes to an hour still not like too long and your goal is still to disqualify the business because it's easier to disqualify an okay opportunity to find a perfect opportunity than trying to make an okay opportunity into the perfect opportunity. So it's really good to be strict with yourself with this stuff. But after that second phase, that's when I really recommend talking to the seller because at this point, now you should have those unique questions that only the seller could really answer. And that's when you go into, into that kind of conversation. And you, to your point, you're right. You need to come equipped like, be serious. Show them that you've done your due diligence, right? Like, if you're just a looky-loo, there's no better way to turn off that seller. You want that seller to be motivated to sell to you, especially because yeah. if they like you, most of the time, a seller will take a lower offer to work with you versus someone giving them a higher offer that they like less. So this is all very, very important. You got to show you're listening to the seller. I'm so glad that you shared that because you said most of the time, a seller will sell their business for lesser to work with somebody that knows what they're doing because they're going to hand over that business to somebody that has talks to talk, right, and yeah. and walks the walk. And it's going to be an easier transition. They're going to be able to have a better relationship. It's just going to be a far better experience for everybody. So that's yeah, yeah. that's 
why I even have business. Like that's what it's all about. <laughs> One thing to add on that, you don't need to be an expert to make that succeed. You just need to be a nice person. <laughs> like you just need to be nice. Like you can be brand new yeah. and the seller will prefer to go with you for multiple reasons. One, they like you, you're a nice dude. And two, they want to help you out. You're new. They want to like, they want you to succeed almost more than they want to succeed themselves. Right. So yeah. you don't have yeah. to be like an expert to make that work, but you do have to show you're listening and paying attention to what the seller is talking about, right? Correct. Yeah. Most of our buyers, I teach people to become attractive buyers, which is to ask specific questions, build, focus on the relationship and the asset, <coughs> not just the asset and forget about there's a person that's you're actually trying to buy it off. You, you need to win them as well. <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, the I, I often joke with because uh, most buyers and sellers on our marketplace, like uh, we get a, a fair share of new crop of people coming in all the time from SEO. But a lot of our buyers and sellers are pretty established nowadays, and mm -hmm. I always think it's really funny because most of them have a pretty serious background in marketing, especially at the higher levels uh, of the business valuations. But they always forget like marketing one hundred and one when it comes to buying and selling a business. They're like. Yes, I'm going to do top of funnel marketing. I'm going to understand the pain points of my audience, solve those pain points for my affiliate site or e-commerce store. And the moment that they go to sell the business, that like all that marketing knowledge is just thrown to the trash can. <laughs> like it's like the, <laughs> they don't care at all about the buyer's pain points or the buyer's problems. When this is like the most important customer in your entire marketing funnel right now. Yeah, what you're trying to yeah, it's the end right? of the line, and yeah. yeah. It's the same way for buyers too. So they just throw away business principles when they get into M and A. <laughs> I think it's really because it's. Do you think it's because there's so much so much emotion involved in it? It's like, oh, I want to make sure, like, I do the right thing. I also want to make sure I sell it for the right price or buy it for the right price. I don't want to get ripped off. Like, do you think that's because our judgment gets clouded from? the emotional aspect of selling something that's like maybe been their baby for the last five years. Yeah. So as a marketer, I can uh, empirically say everything is based on emotion. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Everything is emotional. Uh, buying and selling businesses is especially emotional because it's never easy. Even when the process is simple, like we try to make it as simple as possible. But even with us, there's tons of challenges that will come up. There's things that are missed. There's like things you didn't think about. Like there's cold feet. There's angry feet, you know, because you got to fight with the seller or whatever, right? Uh, so there's always problems when you're coming to sell, uh, sell or buy a business. Even the simplest uh, version of it, 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 it's challenging, and that's okay. It's part of the deal. Um, I, I see emotions that range the gamut. Like higher end buyers, uh, like during the aggregator craze, for example. I had this one, this one buyer, he was an aggregator. One of the guys has raised millions and millions of dollars. He actually lost deals because of his own ego where he, yeah. he was so arrogant about everything. Like anytime a seller would get on the call, like most sellers were like super bootstrap, right? That grew to a seven figure business. And he was like Mr. Wharton business school talking about all the spreadsheet math, about how he won all these awards, all this stuff. I was like, dude, none of that matters. Like, you're trying yeah. to make a deal happen here and you are literally killing every chance you get. Funny enough, yeah. he that guy in Too specifically. Much yeah. He 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 was a spreadsheet jock, but he was terrible at running e-commerce stores. So he was one of the aggregators, I believe, that actually collapsed in on itself, which I just yeah. like the irony of that was very fitting. <laughs> it's <coughs> when how do you teach somebody that doesn't want to learn? Right? Like yeah. Yeah, or don't. isn't open to hearing <laughs> like I learn from people in my business that work with me that you know all the everybody just from editors to contents links everything you know there's this hot this hot there shouldn't be a hierarchy I don't believe in terms of learning and becoming better uh, yeah and yeah the I best mean, entrepreneurs I know are constantly learning so I agree with that yeah yeah, and just when you just for people listening, when you say the aggregator, um, you know, phase for people listening, uh, what Greg's, I'm presuming you're talking about the FBA fulfillment by Amazon. People were yeah. basically, you know, aggregating those businesses uh, in yeah, through basically classic through classic M and A roll up for FBA. Yeah, yeah, basically through 2021 and to sort of to the end of 2022, right? 
Uh, I would say the season was more 2020 to 2021, and 2022 is when everyone started bleeding and dying. <laughs> so that was like the slow stagnation to their doom, uh, where they realized, yeah. like, huh, we're really good at the M&A part of this. We're not so good at running yeah. the business part of it. <laughs> I, I, I remember mid-2021, I went to a, uh, a, a big event, um, the open flipper open source event. And there was a guy there from Sydney who had a team and they were just aggregators and the amount of money that he was spending and wanting to buy businesses, they wanted to get me on, me on board. And it was insane how much money was being thrown around. Oh and, yeah, man. It was wild. Uh, insane how, how many people got burnt through that. Did do you want to, do you want to speak to that a little bit and, and the rise and the fall of that? Oh, uh, sure. Like we, so they, weirdly enough, they were our best like customer on the buy side for obvious reasons. They were buying big businesses, yeah. but they were also like my competitor and they like had some really smart dudes like on their marketing team. Like it was hard to compete with them, especially when they were mm. like, like I can't compete with them giving away a Tesla if you sell their business with them. Like, like I get, yeah. <laughs> like, this is possible for me. Cause like yeah. uh, my, my income based on selling a business is finite. There's this potentially infinite if they're able to grow the mm -hmm. business right because uh, uh, they own they end up owning the businesses but uh, the rise of the aggregator like we knew that was always going to happen like in some shape or form we didn't know what business model we just knew it would happen in the online business world mm -hmm. so i have with fba um i the first one was thrasio um so yeah. good friends with some a lot of the founders of thrasio but to uh, give you a spoiler warning like the corporate board of thrasio basically kicked the founders out so they're not even part of their own company that they built now. And that was a billion yeah. dollar company. And I know another billion dollar company that's not too dissimilar from that situation now. But so the what happened is Drasio rose up. They started buying all this stuff, making all this hype. Other PE guys were like, wow, that sounds really cool. Because what they were doing was really unique and innovative. Like Thrasio, the, found, the original founding team, at least, and a lot of people were still there, were amazingly talented e-commerce people like they weren't mm. just pe people they actually ran e-commerce and they were agency owners for e-commerce clients so they knew what they were doing and uh so they came in start buying all these uh fba businesses for low multiples back then and fast forward you know we see other people coming starting coming to the space this is like 2019 wanting to get involved and then boom covid happens everything shuts off and now everyone's moving online because no other like the main streets dead, you can't blast right? from the physical yeah. store. Yeah. yeah, you can't you can't even go outside your house depending on where you live, right? So yeah. what ends up happening is all the other PE firms who normally would invest in a lot less risky things like you know stocks and uh, uh, real estate, they start investing into these alternative assets too because they want to get on the same hype, the gravy train that uh, Thrasy was on. This creates a whole hype train, this virtuous cycle where you, we even had uh, real estate developers and real estate investors, like commercial uh, people, get out of their commercial real estate and buying FBA businesses because they got so sold on the aggregator hype. And the aggregators mm. were using Thrasio and Perch, who had raised enough money to be both worth a billion dollars. I think Perch was worth a billion as well. That just created this massive hype storm. And I remember realizing, and this is the fall, I remember realizing it was in uh, late 2021, I believe, or no, it was middle of 2021, I believe, when this happened. I was listening to a call and they found like one of the buyers looking to buy a business. Uh, they asked like if Thrasio had made an offer. And of course, we didn't want to tell them that or we said there were other offers. But the seller's like, yeah, Thrasio made an offer. <laughs> like, OK. And, uh, and so the person was like, good enough for me. And their entire due diligence was based on whether or not another aggregator that they knew made an offer. There was no other research that they did. And in my mind, yeah, I was like, crazy. this is crazy. This is like a three yeah. million dollar business. Like, like it's not the biggest thing in the world for us. It's quite mm -hmm. big. But like your due diligence is literally just based on you trying to copy your competitor. <laughs> like, this isn't good. That's ego. That's all ego. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like good enough for them, yeah. good enough for me type of mentality. So it's like buying like swamp land in Florida. Like let's see who gets scammed first. And uh, yeah. it all came crashing out. So after COVID ended in like 2022 or started winding down rather, 
where you saw a few different things happen. So uh, suddenly online traffic, 30% less versus where it was. It's still much higher than it was uh, uh, pre-pandemic, but there's a significant drop as people go back outside. And Amazon, you see the saw the most critical loss of, of traffic, I think, out of any of the major internet properties, which obviously affects FBA dramatically, right? So yeah. you see that. Uh, you also see things like the Ukraine and Russia war, which ironically, I was telling people the supply chain will probably get back to normal, barring any other black swan event. And then boom, war. <laughs> like, <Black> okay, <laughs> who yeah. would have thought? Another, <laughs> this is just a decade of black swans, I guess. But uh, so that creates all this fear in the market and especially in the public markets. And if you see in the public market, like the stock market, you see uh, precipitous dips like cliffs. Always in the private market, it's like 10 times worse because the private market doesn't have people like uh, the internet meme bros keeping stocks alive by investing in GameStop. Mm. Like private capital mm. doesn't work that way. It's much more rigid. So if public markets get hit, private markets get hit way worse. All the aggregators, they're loaded up on debt from these private markets. Now the roosters are coming mm. home like, hey, what's going on? And the uh, realization that they're not good at running e-commerce businesses, like the vast majority of FBA <laughs> businesses these guys bought had either stayed the same or were doing marginally worse to incredibly worse. Very few of them actually uh, gained money. Now, Thrasio, they did yeah. really good. Most of their businesses did do well, but they actually were e-commerce people. Most of these other guys were just PE people, which was a major issue for the failing. So that's the unwinding of it all. Uh, hype train too much debt, not knowing what they're yeah. doing, uh, made them fragile. Economy gets punched in the stomach. They're like, well, I guess we're going under. <laughs> so it was so wild to see. I remember as um, I, I remember speaking to, or even just seeing your businesses from Empire Flippers and, and from other uh, places come across our desk when we're reviewing these before, uh, before people buy them. <laughs> looking at the multiples of FBA businesses compared to content sites, uh, oh, I'm just like, I'm like, I'm like, how? <coughs> and, and these people, are, a lot of people coming to me, Jared, I want to buy an FBA business. FBA is the way to go. <laughs> I'm like, have you, ever, yeah. <laughs> do you, have you have you owned any online business ever in your life before? As like, no, but FBA is the way to go. Uh, I want to buy an e-commerce business, FBA. And the multiples are sky high compared to, a content site like creeping up towards like some good SaaS yeah. and membership type uh. business multiples and uh it was wild to see that people yeah it, i mean got got lured into it um yeah it was, and it, was, it is only a matter of time when somebody when people buy e-commerce businesses and they don't know what they're doing there's typically those business models are the most fraught with a lot of lot of work that needs to go into them for them to work and then also profit margins are quite low compared to say blogs and other types yeah. of businesses so it's like, a very it's a very slippery slope i think the growth potential of an e-commerce store is better than an affiliate site uh and when i say e-commerce store i mean like ddc not amazon fba i think amazon yeah. fba is great training wheels but they it ultimately handicaps you if, if e-commerce is the thing you want to do um, but I'm, I'm a fan of affiliate sites, similar to you. I, I like for a new buyer, affiliate sites are easy to understand. It's a very simple business model, and there's only a few things you really need to work on to make it happen. I I agree with you on the e-commerce businesses um, that are off Amazon. You can scale them a lot quicker, typically. And I want to explain why to everybody listening is typically because if they have marketing campaigns that are already working is you can just pour market pour more money pour more money into marketing and it's like jet fuel and it can scale a lot quicker obviously i'm not telling people to go and do that unless they understand digital marketing and understand how to run one of those e-commerce businesses yeah, yes. uh, but yeah you can Scaling comes, you with, comes with its own death traps if you don't know what you're doing <laughs> well what i always see with scale in in my business and other people's businesses is we get the scale and then you have to reorganize systems and team and you get to a level that you can only go so fast and then parts of the business or the vehicle break down and you need to tighten them up and then get other people involved to make sure that those 
those pieces aren't going to fall apart in that business. So yeah, scale is a, you, uh, you, you scale to inadequacy and then you have to stop because if you keep scaling in that inadequacy, the small problem suddenly becomes a gaping hole that would destroy your business, right? So you've got to yes. change the system as things change. Yeah, re reinvent. Um, it's like what I'm talking, uh, I'm talking to somebody with a content site at the moment, helping them grow their content site and what the person did to build it to the level they're at. I'm pretty sure they bought it from you guys actually. They got the content site to say, I don't know, it's like four grand a month. And they might, I think they got like four or 500 posts or something like that. But what got them to that level is not going to get them from five grand to 10 grand. It's going to be a different strategy typically. And that I think a lot of people that buy businesses don't understand that it's not just <coughs> continual volume of, of uh, content and just buying links. There's a lot more different types of unique strategies and unique to each business as well, <coughs> even, even an affiliate site or a content site. Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to chat about um, what type of businesses you actually sell more of at Empire Flippers these days, you know, through 2022 up until, you know, now in 2023. So I would say in 2022, we were still selling probably predominantly Amazon FBA, uh, mm. with, as 2022 came to an end, we were selling less and less of those. So now, uh, we sell very few FBA businesses. Like we still have them and we're still selling them, but I would say the pendulum has swung back to, uh, affiliate sites as our predominant, uh, site because a mm. giant cohort of our client, of our customer base just died, right? The aggregators, they, they're literally There's no, no more. money in that pool anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, that obviously sent uh, ripples of fear throughout anyone who wanted to buy an FBA business. Like, oh my God, this billion dollar company died. How could I buy an FBA mm. business? Like, well, mm. if, you ha- if you've been paying attention, you're probably in a better position because you probably understand e-commerce better than these guys. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. <laughs> so they're like, there's still plenty of money to be made in FBA. Uh, so don't let yeah. don't let their billion dollar mistakes stop you from creating your own wealth if, if that's what you want to do. But, but yeah, in terms of our marketplace, uh, affiliate sites, content sites in general are really big. I would say on content sites, uh, display ads in particular are really big right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of that is uh, the hangover of just physical supply chains because a lot of affiliate products are physical products that you're promoting, right? And I think there's a certain level of passivity of hands-off kind of style of monetization with ads. And I'm a big fan of display ads. I think at scale, a content site at scale will make more money with display ads than with affiliate. Uh, and mm. it allows you to go after all the super low-hanging uh, keywords that are like the informational articles like, yeah, why, did, why are castles gray? You know, <laughs> you're not selling anything yeah. there. You might have a display <laughs> ad that someone can click, right? Um, but, but yeah, so that's what we're seeing. Also, we saw an uptick in uh, Kindle businesses. So these are tend to be like modern day publishing uh, houses. Mm. And we've always mm. sold them. But this year in particular, we sold quite a few big ones. Uh, and I think it's so strange. This is like the weirdest business model we sell. We almost never talk about it, but we have sold several millions of dollars worth of these businesses that are like, you know, uh, uh, they'll have a pen name, a ghost author, ghost name of an author who's just writing like random romance novels or sci-fi novels or low content books. And it's like a whole pub- modern day publishing house, which I, I find intriguing. But but yeah, so that, that's basically where the market is at the moment. I remember seeing a lot more of those on your marketplace like 2018, 2019. Um, I would say that was the uh, heyday yeah. of that business model. That's when yeah. it really came online. I mean, Amazon FBA, not too far uh, before that. Amazon FBA really yeah. came on the market in 2017. That's when that hustle really started getting big. I like the digital, I like the digital products um, selling those books on Amazon. Um, one thing that I typically tell people to check is if they are going to buy those types of businesses, having a look at single source dependency on maybe one book, <coughs> having most of the revenue and making sure you maintain that listing. <laughs> yes. As I, you I, own the- I, and yeah. I would always recommend like you, the, the books should be related to each other enough to where you build an email list. Cause like playing on someone else's platform is a dangerous game. You never know what Amazon's yeah. going to do. And there's so yeah. many tools now. If, like, if you want to sell digital uh, books, 
yeah, you could even set up a DDC, a DTC store selling your own uh, novels and ebooks and stuff like that directly and cut out Amazon completely nowadays. There's plenty of tools to do it. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, if you're going to buy one, try to build an email list. Don't be uh, platform dependent. Such a good piece of advice, Greg. I typically, when people say, when I ask people if they own a business and they say, oh, yeah, I own an uh, Amazon business. I believe they don't actually <coughs> own the business. Amazon yeah. owns the business and they're using their platform as a channel. It's kind of like, yeah, I own a Facebook business and you sell products on Facebook. Well, Facebook <laughs> can take your take your page down at any time. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Same thing. So this is why I'm a big fan of, say, Shopify stores over Amazon FBA. Like, I get asked this question all yeah. the time, like, which one's easier? And my answer is like, well, Amazon FBA is definitely the easier one. But if you want to make crazy good money then you should go the Shopify route because if you have a Shopify store that has a funnel that is converting and is profitable, it's not that hard to put that product on Amazon and get a halo effect of it. Like if you're running an ad to your Shopify store for like a mic and people really like that mic, but then they forget what was your store's name and they type in Amazon for that type of mic and they see your mic come up, like that's the one. You know, your ad converted that is, uh, is unattributed. You're never going to know that's the reason why it happened. But that's the halo effect versus if you went the other way around, if you were selling this on just as an Amazon product, you have no bottom of funnel data. You you can't know what what is working half the time, even when you're using Amazon ads because they don't give you all the uh, information. So when you try to make this into a Shopify store, it is way significant harder to make that campaign work than you expect. And you've priced this to be competitive on Amazon, not priced it to be competitive on a paid funnel that converts. So your chances of failure are way, way, way higher going from FBA to Shopify than the other way around. It is, it is very hard to go from take something off Amazon to Shopify or whatever um, e-commerce <coughs> Uh, it is far harder, and I've helped people do 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 both. Yeah, it's painful. Um, I actually, yeah, it's it's it's. I've got one uh, client that uh, helped him scale his business significantly, and it's he started off in Amazon FBA. He does eight figures, and he, we took it off Amazon, and he makes more profit margin off Amazon, and then he moved it from his Shopify business to global markets and then also started to then look at um, affiliates and he got set up with different big affiliate programs that run his affiliate campaigns. And then he also uh, is selling in stores in Europe and England and stuff like that. It's a medical device and uh, has approval, has gotten approvals and stuff like that, like FDAs and all that sort of stuff. And when people see something in the store or see something on affiliate, then I also can still go back, not just from the Shopify store, but they can also go back to Amazon like, oh, cool, uh, this is the same product on Amazon. And you get that halo effect from multiple channels. <coughs> That's yeah. a really cool way to way uh, to scale. 100%. And, and what, what he's doing there, by the way, that's a reason why, like, even if you're into affiliate, you should eventually look at e-commerce. Like, if you run an affiliate site, that's a great testing bed on what kind of product you should uh, buy. Mm -hmm. they, like you can look at, like if you just do Amazon affiliate, you can see what is the most common thing my audience is buying and build an email list of those people and then launch your own version of that. That's like one of the softest ways to get into e-commerce. It's uh, and, but then you could do stuff like what he's doing, which he owns all the bottom of funnel data, which is where the real money is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, what about some other different? So we've gone through, you know, your FBA, uh, and you're also selling content sites, SaaS and membership businesses as well. But what about newsletters and YouTube channels and these t different types of <coughs> business? They're online businesses, right? Mm -hmm. What other unique ones? And how often do you sort of sell these unique types of businesses? So we don't sell many YouTube channels, which is a real shame because we definitely would love to, uh, as long as yep. they're, 
you know, not personality branded if they're like more like faceless YouTube channels where it's like easy mm. to put someone else in place. Like we love those. Like we sold one uh, at a client. We I think she bought it for around thirty thousand dollars, something like that. It was a very small uh, YouTube channel, and now it makes thirty thousand dollars a month. <laughs> like every month, it makes the same amount that she bought so, it for. Yeah, uh, YouTube's so it's that high. Yeah, I love it. I mean. Most of my uh, friends in the affiliate space, they add on a YouTube channel as an afterthought. And now most of them, before they start a new site, they'll start the YouTube channel first to see if it works because it's so much easier to get traffic in their view. Um, yeah. So that's one. Uh, for We do sell info, info product businesses. So like your traditional like course that might be worth you know 200 700 whatever uh usually not in the make money online space what i what i we found is in the make money online space things change so often that the owner really does need to be an expert or they just stop updating the course completely and then it loses all that all uh validity um but in other spaces like uh you know certain engineering exams architectural exams stuff like that those are really good niches because one mm. they're really boring no one wants to get into them but there's tons of people who need that information and it doesn't change that often so you very rarely need to update anything and it's not that big of a hassle to like go and hire an architectural uh, student to update the course for you or a, a professor or whatever. It's mm. relatively straightforward. So those info courses are really, really good. Um, it's been a hot minute since we sold mobile apps, but mobile apps are also uh, quite intriguing as long as, again, that you're building a list because you're playing on Apple or Android's platform in that case. So there's always a platform you're playing on. So like the most common yeah. advice I give is you know build your own email list. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. You you need to own your list, otherwise you don't really own the business. Uh, we um, we helped somebody buy an Instagram account once, and mm. they used that as lead flow into the business they already had. So they they put it, they, you know, plugged it into one of their primary businesses, which is a really good channel for them. Uh, I love what you're talking about with the YouTube affiliates and content site owners starting up a YouTube channel. What I see is those businesses that are those content businesses or any sort of website that has a YouTube channel that runs alongside it is that traffic. When you look at it in Google Analytics four, that traffic that comes from video is the highest engagement rate, and typically is that's where you're going to get your best ad revenue and the highest intent as well for affiliate too. Like they're closer to buying. They've just watched a video of maybe an unboxing or a video about a certain product and, you know, two different products, they're ready to buy as soon as they come from YouTube to your sites. Like the 100%. best one. Like, like we, we, we started YouTube uh, about two years ago for EF and we got more serious yeah. about it this year. I, I, I finally handed off the reins to one of my content specialists to take it over for me. Uh, our view counts are low. Like uh, it's not uncommon for a video to go only get like 120, 180 views. Sometimes we'll get like 600 and sometimes we really knock out of the park and get like over a thousand, but it's super rare. And if you're looking mm. at, at our channel and comparing us to say like Mr. Beast, like we're a complete failure, right? Like, like these guys are pathetic. They're awful at this, right? But, no, but there's, a, there's a huge difference there is like, you might have a small channel, but you're in a very different niche. Exactly. Exactly. The money is so good for with a small channel in in yeah. this niche. Yeah, percent. Like so, that that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, uh, so if you're building out a YouTube channel and your YouTube channel is getting a small amount of views, do not fret because these guys convert, and over time it will become like one of your best traffic assets. Like for us, it's our third best performing channel now at EF. Like, yeah. even though we have so low views, we've made millions of dollars off of this thing. So, like, yeah. you couldn't ask for a better uh, return on uh, spend. Like, it's just as good, if not better, than SEO in some cases. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And like surely um, Empire Flipper's main channel is the blog because uh, that thing's an absolute beast. Uh, I've, done the, <laughs> yes. I've done the absolute opposite, right? With Bob, we, I went hard on video content and YouTube and then slowly am starting to get into SEO. And I haven't done <laughs> SEO, like literally haven't, hadn't done any SEO on my site until 2023. Wow, this surprises me. 
Oh, yeah, with all your knowledge of affiliate and uh, SEO, like I would have thought that would have been a, a main mainstay for you. But, but yeah, for just us, wasn't blogging. It? yeah, yeah, blogging, blogging is yeah. There's I just didn't really in this space. I guess I went I went into a pool where there wasn't a lot of people looking to buy businesses, especially on YouTube, and I just got lucky that I sort of carved out that space and own a chunk of that sort of market cap and domain in YouTube. And you guys are sort of paved the way with blogging. And now I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I should actually do something about this. Yeah. Well, it was probably yeah. a good move, right? Because you, you, were, you were tackling a blue ocean versus the red ocean with us and the other guys blogging. And we were podcasting yeah. too. But I don't think anyone was doing any videos until like us going on to YouTube. Like we were, ba- I feel like we were the first broker on YouTube, even though we definitely weren't. There was other ones yeah. on there. But like, one of my competitors had 27 subscribers and like 80 videos and none of them had over 30 views. And like, wow. Yeah. Well, so like yeah. the bar is set pretty low. <laughs> yeah, it's very low. It was, so, it was very low. Yeah. I think it's still <laughs> very low. I think, yeah, I think there's basically us, you, and I think there's like one other person that talks about buying online businesses that has some modicum of success, but like there's no like mm. huge breakout channel and everyone else is like, doing pretty bad like i saw one channel their shorts were even low like eight views on a short like wow yeah how i didn't know you could get that few views on a short (laughs) (laughs) setting low records yeah Yeah. so like it makes me feel better because i like nick and i and nick is the guy running our youtube channel like we often are like man well we know we're missing something which we are we don't know what but there's something we're not doing right and we're trying to figure it out but then we look at the other channels like, well, this makes us feel better. At least we're doing better than this. <laughs> um, I want to stick with, I've got some more questions that I want to come sure. back to around Empire Flippers and stuff like that, multiples and whatnot and trends. But sticking with the YouTube channel, guys, go away and check out Empire Flippers YouTube channel. Greg has done a great job. In fact, there was a video that you um, put out, was it that long ago about AI? Did AI just kill affiliate marketing? Uh, yes, talk, yes, yes. Do you want to talk to a little bit more about that, about yes. affiliate marketing and AI and, and, and how AI could possibly do <coughs> Yeah, so I'm super into AI. Uh, I'm embracing the robot overlords. Um, but <laughs> there's all this hype in the space. Like, yeah, SEOs, we're drama queens. Like, we're, we're the most dramatic form of marketers of any marketing. Like, I'm in a bunch of paid, cha- uh, paid media groups and stuff like that. Like, no one is as dramatic as the SEOs. <laughs> so like <laughs> everyone is talking about how SEO is dead, which you know I we you and I have both heard over the years many, many times. And like, no, this time it's serious because it's AI. Like Google is dead, Google is gonna die overnight, all the blah, 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 blah. Right. And so I started looking into it and started using AI a lot in our own processes. Like this is a, this is amazing. You know, uh, like yeah. AI is good enough as is to kill low end writers like right away. No doubt about it. Uh, you mm. just don't need someone who's super skilled to write about plumbing in Perth. You just need like someone who's competent because no one's even reading that article. Right. Like they yeah, go to yeah. the plumber's website just to click on the call is now button. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I started looking into it deeper and then we lost a 300, I think it was, it was either a 300 or $400,000 site. I keep forgetting the number, but we lost that deal because the buyer backed out because they bought into the hype that Google was going to die because of ChatGPT and OpenAI. And I was like, okay, well, this is getting Whoa. a bit ridiculous. Like yeah. people are at once overrating and underrating AI, like underrating. Like I see a bunch of people like Google will never allow AI. Like, what do you mean? Of course they will. They're, they're, They've built, they, they probably spent more money on building an AI than ChatGPT did. Like, because they've been, I they said that at the it. very start. Yeah, I said <laughs> yeah. that at the very start, to be honest. And now yeah. I'm like, okay, it's, it can't be ignored. <laughs> yeah, like, so like, it doesn't make sense for Google to punish AI. Like, maybe they would, but I, it just seems so counterintuitive with what their mission is. So I never believed that they were going to punish AI. Uh, but then there was like uh, the writers, like, oh, you doesn't have the human touch. Like, you, don't need that for most most things you're reviewing like if i'm reviewing this microphone it doesn't need to be ernest hemingway level of lyricism (laughs) singing into my heart you know like i'm saying this as a writer like i write poetry and novels i'm a big fan of literature but i see Mm. the writing on the wall 
So there's that underrating, and then there's overrating, like Google was going to die. So I decided to dive very, very deep into this, the research, all the different numbers, all that kind of stuff. The TLDR is if Google actually did switch over to a, you know, a ChatGPT style of search, uh, where Google did die, as we know it, at least, Google would literally bankrupt their entire business because <laughs> the cost involved is so dramatic. So, for example, OpenAI, the people who built ChatGPT, the entire development cost, the laborious labor, the GPUs, server farms, everything, all the coding that they did, the cost to make something as revolutionary as ChatGPT that entire cost is eclipsed in one week of people using ChatGPT. The token burns of just using it at, it at its current user base is more in one week than the entire cost of making the thing. That's wild. Mm. So I forget yeah, the wild. exact numbers, but the cost of a search, like Google search, is like 0. 0.000005 uh, cents. So, so like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a cent. Now, when you do a search using LM, language learning model, it's I think it's like five or maybe six times more expensive. So just that alone would increase Google's OpEx by $100 billion. Like this is wildly costly. And then you have to factor in that, okay, all their GDN network, Google Display Network, which does include YouTube, so it's a bit of it's hard to understand like the separation. But it's not just YouTube ads; it's all the people using AdSense on their websites. If they put ChatGPT in there, uh, if they took it over, you know, some something akin to that, they would overnight destroy two million publisher websites who get a lot of their profit from Google, right? And Google would destroy that own profit center themselves. So that that's about nineteen billion dollars that they would lose right out of the gate. And then there's also their search ads, the actual, uh, in, like when you type in Google, the, uh, At the ads top of the search there. bar. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Like they, no one knows how to monetize an AI chat. So it would be assumed that that would either also be destroyed or at least severely wounded. So right here, we're looking at a roughly a 45 or, or uh, roughly like a $39 billion additional cost to Google by doing these two things. And that's just their advertising game. That doesn't include the language learning model costs of each search that would happen, which would be significant considering Google's market share. So when you add that in, Google would be making about negative $9 billion a year, which is not great. So like they're, they would absolutely destroy themselves. So in the article, I go through this whole thing uh, with the actual numbers that I research. I think if something was untoward was to happen, it would probably be Bing because Bing has a lot less to lose than Google. Uh, Bing makes up only 5% of Microsoft's revenue versus Google makes up probably like 99% of Alphabet's revenue. Uh, so Google, uh, Microsoft could be like, uh, and the CEO actually did say this. He, he said he wants Google to come out and dance. Like he wants to, to put the fire at their feet, right? And so he's going aggressive. And what he could do is turn Bing into the history's largest loss leader in the world, where he just absolutely destroys Bing's revenue by making an LM and just like totally destroying Google, forcing them to compete, making Google's profit margins thinner and thinner and thinner, with no real goal of actually having Microsoft Bing replace Google. Like that battle will never happen, I don't think. I like it never be won. But he can seriously wound Google if he doesn't mind causing some own you know self-infliction upon himself which i think they are okay with that because anyone any new market share share with being really they just use that to upsell all their microsoft products so that's kind of the landscape i think uh nothing will like change within the next five years uh people yeah. think like everything's going to change like today like no it won't like five <laughs> years there will be significant changes and most likely, it will go through a transition similar to uh, back when we had the yellow pages and transition to search engines. So search yeah. engines accomplishes the exact same thing as the yellow pages, but it is in a completely different medium. And I think once we figure out how AI looks like, it will be very similar. Like search will go away completely and there will be something that replaces it that is a, a new rendition that does the same thing. And there's going to be opportunities in there for us, too. Yeah, so thank, so so grateful for your breakdown there, and so glad that you said that 
it's not going to happen in two months or three months or five <laughs> yeah, months or six yeah. months because the, like most Jerry, people I, are freaking, right? So, like, so I, I said like in the article, if everything went perfectly, maybe this could happen in two years. But certainly, certainly Bing's AI is having an existential meltdown and telling people to divorce their wives. We can already see this is not going as well as I thought it was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got these big billion dollar companies that haven't just came come out and just flattened open ai yet and you know google could be you know i dare say these big billion dollar companies have some some cars up their sleeves uh they've got the resources so a lot the landscape can change massively google in my view has a much better ai than open ai the reason why bard is doing worse than say uh being in chat gpt because being in chat gpt the same thing but Google yeah. never wanted it to go public. It wasn't ready in their eyes. So they never yeah. trained their model for public consumption. That's why Bard fell flat on his face. But I, like, I don't know this for sure, but my guess is Google's AI is significantly stronger than OpenAI's. Yeah, they, they have so much data, so many resources. And yeah. I, get tools, I get tools sent to me, AI tools sent to me <coughs> so regularly. And... It's cool to see that there's the possibilities and you can start using these tools, but I don't know which one to actually go with yet because I might learn one and put it into my business as a system (coughs) and then in a year's time, there may be something that's far better, but I'm already Mm. locked in with the stickiness of SOPs and team and training in one thing. So (coughs) I've been admittedly quite, I'm learning about it, I've been admittedly slow to add it into my business because uh, not that I'm ignoring it completely. I just feel like in the next two to five years, then we're going to start to see the the real opportunities. I think we've just started to sort of peel back the curtain slightly with this AI stuff. And I think eventually over time, that's where the amazing opportunity is going to be. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's hard to stay abreast of everything. So I, I joke that uh, the first jobs and companies that AI is going to kill is the previous AI companies. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> uh, so, so you, there's like Jasper, right? Uh, or Jarvis. Yeah. I think they go by Jasper now. They've changed their name so many times. But, uh, you know, they were the hot shit. Like they sponsored Inbound in Boston. Like that's yeah. not cheap. Yeah. Right? That's the HubSpot yeah. event. I, I was there for it. I was shocked. Like, oh, man, these guys are doing really well. But if you look at all these AI companies, almost 100% of them are really open AI companies because they're all using open AI's API to make it happen. They just build the model based on top of that. So I have a Mm. friend, uh, Matt Zimmerman. He came out with ZimWriter. And ZimWriter is like a way better version of Jasper. Like the UI is really shit. It's very clunky and like it's not great. But uh, mm. like you're not paying it for that. You're paying it for the results, right? And it lives mm-hmm. on site on your computer. So instead of it being cloud-based, it's a actual desktop app that you have that plugs into your own OpenAI API. So uh, J- Jasper, the way they make their money is they significantly charge uh, an upsell on the OpenAI tokens that you're burning through their API account versus ZimWriter you pay a lifetime or a very small monthly fee and you burn as many tokens of your own as you want. And it's way cheaper. Like a 5,000 word blog post only cost me 20 cents. Like on Jasper, that would have been much more expensive. So this is why I'm joking. Like the AI companies will kill the previous AI companies, especially now that everyone realizes all the AI companies are literally just like open AI API. (laughs) (laughs) But uh but, but yeah, so to answer your question in terms of staying abreast of this, I, I just interviewed the uh, one of the leaders of the Marketing for AI Institute, and he gave really good advice. He said, you should set up, uh, you should get on Twitter, create some Twitter lists of the people that are, are talking about AI. You should use mm. a brand mentioning software like mention.com, Peak Metrics, whatever you like to use, and put in all the AI tags you can find just to stay abreast of it because everything changes so, so quickly. So that article that I broke down about AI killing affiliate marketing 
one of my friends, he really wanted to know what I had to say about it. And he decided to deep fake me by taking one minute, two minutes of me speaking on YouTube, throwing it in 11 labs. And then he was like, you know what, this needs some visuals. And he threw the results into Pictory to throw together like charts, graphs, like imagery with and background music. So now there's a fake version of me reading my 5,000 word blog post to him and it took him less than five minutes to do. So yeah. these are tools that are extremely, extremely powerful. Like if you're an affiliate site owner, you could literally throw your blog post into 11 labs. They have the best synthetic voices that are out there, or you can just deep fake yourself uh, and then throw into Pictory and it'll make the entire video for you. And is it going to be like Die Hard or like some Oscar nominated video? No, <laughs> it doesn't have to be to work to be successful. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's, and that's just now, that's just now. I mean, yeah. I remember <laughs> this is what a month or two ago, I saw that on Facebook. Um, cause I'm friends with you on Facebook. I saw that you, you had, Hey, my friend just, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I thought it was very funny. <laughs> re, re, me reading my own article. Um, <laughs> and that's just now, right? Like it's going to be, it's going to be very different in two, oh, three years time, the landscape. Look, and I think the, a lot of people are are freaking out now uh, about, but I think the real good stuff is yet to come. Oh yeah. I mean, like right now we can't do like what we're doing right now. Um, We couldn't make a video of an actual person talking like this without tons of CGI effects. But I bet down the road with AI that you could record like 20 minutes of you talking and body language and all this kind of stuff. And you could just create endless videos of yourself doing that way. I will say, like, I would recommend using for you and your audience, I would recommend deep diving AI tools today because there is a golden window that will last about 18 months, uh, maybe 16 months where not everyone is utilizing AI and you can destroy the competition. So, for example, I'm deep faking myself for the team. I was going to have Nick do it for the YouTube channel, but he was uncomfortable. I was like, well, Nick, you know, you've already done enough videos. I could just deep fake you, but I won't, I won't force you into it. Uh, so I'm deep faking myself to where my team can have me say, you know, anything for anything. shorts. Yeah. And now yeah. we can basically use a mission of chat GBT, our own MA knowledge and strategy of like content that we know that's working where if we wanted to, I could produce a hundred shorts a day without me ever actually having to record anything. And you, yeah. you like just put it on a background, you put it on Pictory or something like that, and it does all of it for you. So this is a golden window of opportunity for people to really, really di- double down on it. And it won't be around forever because, like I said, eventually everyone is going to catch on. You're going to be back at an uh, equilibrium point. So I would recommend anyone listening to go hard on AI now. Figure out how to use <laughs> it and really double down on it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Uh, now... Coming back to online businesses and empire flippers, what trends are you guys seeing like data um, on businesses sold, multiples, how fast are they selling, slow are they selling? Like what's the landscape been like lately compared to what it has been like? Sure. So uh, in 2020 and 2021, we called it the season of the seller. The seller had mm. the best time ever, best life oh, ever. Oh, Yes. Nowadays, yeah. the seller is having a very bad time. Yeah. <laughs> they're not. They're not doing nearly as good. Uh, their choices are much more limited on who they can sell to, and they have to take deals they would have never thought to take back in 2020 or 2021. Though, if yeah. it was 2019, they would still think it's a good deal. <laughs> but you know, recency bias. Um, Mm-hmm. So with all the uh, fallout in the private equity market, the capital markets, all that kind of stuff, like the amount of buyers just do not exist at the same level as they did before. And not even in the same numbers. Like there's still buyers, but they are uh, afraid to deploy capital uh, because a buyer can buy in a bad market or in a good market and make a good deal. But what buyers are afraid of the most is an uncertain market. And I feel like right now we're in this elongated uncertainty of what is actually happening. And that paralyzes capital. Capital doesn't like uncertainty. It likes to know what it's doing, right? Uh, so that creates a vacuum of no buyers for sellers. Now, there are still 
it's still like still deals are getting done, but it's just much harder. So this is really good news for your crowd. Uh, oh, yeah. When it's bad for sellers, it's usually good for buyers, right? So because there's less competition, uh, sellers are willing to take offers they wouldn't accept before. And we're, what we're seeing is between 10 to 20% lower than our list price where a lot of the deals are starting to happen. And this is after like rigorous renegotiations, all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. back and forth. Mm-hmm. So like you can't, don't go in and think like, oh, Greg said 20% less than list price. Easy. That will just do that with every offer. Like you you have to fight for it, right? Because yep. seller expectations are still living in the fantasy of 2021, not in 2023. Mm-hmm. So mm it's an adjustment where the seller has to like come to terms with reality. Right. Um, so what I'm, what I think will happen over the next few months is you'll see, uh, multiple slowly start dropping on our marketplace. This is something I've been predicting for months. It's not anything new. I actually thought it would have happened a while. I thought it would be happening, start happening at the end of 2022. And it started to happen around the Feb range in 2023 for what I've noticed anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think you're going to notice uh, a more significant drop. Like, uh, and when, when it comes to these drops, it's not like a stock price where, you know, it falls down the cliff Plummet. until Wall Street yeah. bets can get in on it. Right? Usually, it's like much slower. Uh, yeah. So I, I, we're kind of like real estate in the sense that we're a lagging indicator of uh, asset value. Because uh, mm. when real estate drops, usually something bad happened bef- like months before that drop, and real estate is just like catching up to that bad thing. But uh, yeah. but yeah, so right. I, I think valuations are going to go down. Uh, right now is great for buyers if you're good at negotiating, but keep in mind that the seller expectations are unrealistic uh, because they are still high on the 2020-2021 uh, party that is now over. Yeah, I saw a deal just yesterday and I'm going through it and reviewing the due diligence and I'm looking at this deal and I didn't know the price of it until I got closer to the bottom and I was like, wow, this is like a lot of good metrics here. This business is looking good. This is, this is going to go for a rack around a 45, 42 to 45 multiple. It hadn't sold yet and it was at a 31.5 multiple and it was a great deal. Uh, and I'm usually very pessimistic about deals and trying to <laughs> I, I try to tell people not to buy. That's like my main job is to show people well, what I like to do is I like to prove a business is a bad investment and if you can't, then you must buy. And this one, I was just sitting there like, I'm like, I can't say no to you not buying this. It's it's a good deal. Uh, obviously, you understand the risk and if you're okay with them, go, go right. forwards and yeah. do it. But like that was just very eye-opening to me and – I believe that as the economy as well has a bit to bit to do with it too, which is where I came out with my predictions at the end of last year um, with, with interest rates tightening up, less cash flow, people having to spend more to repay their home loans and their even good debts and bad debts. And some people are needing to sell their businesses for a lesser price than what they would ideally want to. Um, and it's, uh, I'm starting to see some, some sellers, I mean, buyers really get some, some absolute deals. Yeah. A hundred percent. Uh, and for the sellers out there who are like, you know, they feel diminished by this, like I get it, but multiples are still higher today than they were in 2019 <laughs> by a significant amount. So yeah. at least you weren't yeah. selling in 2019, which wasn't a buyer's or a seller's market necessarily. I guess it was more, even more of a buyer's market back then because of the multiples being lower, but like multiples were significantly lower in 2019 and 2018 than they are today. So you still have plenty of opportunity to make a life changing exit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah it's not like yeah. the same as 2020 and 2021, but a few million dollars in your pocket, you're going to be, you know, still smiling. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And it's, <clears throat> We need to sort of make sure people understand that the online business market doesn't <laughs> follow, follow and parallel crypto and stocks and ETFs and whatnot. <coughs> I see it like you said as well. It's kind of like the real estate market is way more slower moving and the drops or the little, the little kickbacks are not as significant. If you look at the overall trend, it's, it's a very fair over you know from say 
2005 to 2025, it's a very, very steady line um, in, yeah. increasing without too many troughs. So, um, and I was, I was, yeah. I would say your opportunity to monetize is so much better than in real estate. Like real estate is less risky and more stable, but you know, you can't double your rent in a year unless you are yeah. like, you might get into a lawsuit. But if you double your affiliate site income within a year, that's completely reasonable in the, in the realm of digital marketing, like going from yeah. 2000 to $4,000 a month often is not that crazy of a jump It is yeah. usually easier than going from zero to a thousand dollars a month. I can tell you that. It is, it is zero to zero to 1000 is, is a tough, a tough gig. I have actually yeah. been there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, when you've got resources and time and, and, and can make strategic moves, it is a lot easier. Last thing I want to talk about with you, Greg is, uh, Buying and selling businesses, Empire Flippers has evolved a lot since I got into this game and started buying businesses from you guys and since I started teaching and it's you guys have made some cool changes. Where do you see like in terms of uh, asking for proof of funds, your marketplace has changed a lot, how you go through a deal from zero to hero start to end with a seller and with a buyer uh, so many cool things that you guys have put in place. How do you see the the M and A and the buying and selling of businesses evolving? Do you can you see some cool things coming down the line? Uh, yeah, um, I think like I, I, there's no like major changes to the stuff that you said there. We're just uh, keeping on improving and iterating on the processes, and our uh, mm. custom platform has been huge on that front. I think. One thing that is quite big that and we, is unforeseen, like I don't know what changes exactly will come on this. I have some ideas, but I don't want to talk about it yet because there will be a surprise if we do it. Um, but one of the things that has always somewhat bothered me was that we lean into being a broker, like an M&A broker versus an M&A marketplace. But the mm-hmm. actual audience views us as a marketplace. Like you just said marketplace, right? Versus if I was one of my competitors, you probably would have used the word broker. Now, we've yes. always leaned into trying to tell people, no, we're really a broker with the marketplace. We're uh, mm. this white glove service, all this stuff. And white glove, this is going to be, this is a hot take. People don't like this sometimes, but I think <laughs> white glove is stupid. Like, I think anyone that says you want a white glove service doesn't know what they're talking about. Everyone mm. wants an assembly line, no matter what. They want something that works, is predictable. The outcome is guaranteed or at least certain what it will be versus white glove is like, I'm telling you, I don't know what the the assembly line looks like, but I'm going to feed you some chocolate, give you some whiskey and we'll see what happens. (laughs) You're you're very, you're being very vulnerable (laughs) and opening yourself up to a lot. Right. Right. Yeah. So like this bespoke type of thing, I I don't think it really exists. I don't think people really want it. So we, we are white, like we're an assembly line with the veneer of the white glove service. Like we treat our customers very, very well, but we're not truly bespoke like that. So one of the things that I think is interesting, this is conversations I brought up with the founders and the management team recently, and they so far seem to be interested in what I, what I'm saying is instead of us leaning into being the broker, when if we lent more into being the marketplace? Because we've invested so much in technology with our engineering staff, all that kind of stuff. Like, why wouldn't we? Like, that's where the real asset is for the business. So I think in the future, we're going to uh, be unleashing a lot more marketplace features, uh, capabilities uh, that will help expand our footprint across the industry and ideally if i have it my way it won't just be helpful to us but it it could even be helpful to some of our competitors depending on how we roll it out so that that's uh my my tease i think uh, us leaning into and growing our marketplace functionality is going to be a big 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 thing over the next year or two love it that's a good that's a good note to finish on guys stay tuned for those those changes um, and how buying and selling of businesses is going to evolve. Uh, I'm excited to see what comes from it. I just want to say thank you for all, all that you guys do uh, at Empire Flippers. It's awesome to watch your evolution and uh, be able to send some people to you to buy some great businesses. And thanks so much for coming on, Greg. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jared. Always a pleasure, man. Yeah. Uh, guys, 
we'll put links to Empire Flippers in the show notes and also our previous episode that we did 200 episodes ago, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> you can see non-beard me and bearded me. Tell me which one you like, yeah. Fat Ragnar Lothbrook or Young Nervous Greg. <laughs> I've, only got, I've only got a headshot. I've only got a headshot of you with no beard. So if you want uh-huh. a headshot with a beard, you're going to have to send that one over. <laughs> I'll send, I'll send yeah. you over my, uh, pro, my speaker picture. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much, Greg. All right. See you, man.